Hey, it's so good to be here. How many of you have been here, uh, let's see, at least um, 13 years? And you've been here longer than 30? If you were a part of the men's conference back in 2011, 2012, somewhere in there, I came two years in a row and spoke at the men's conference. So it's, it's um, uh, so sweet to be back today. I mean, it's, it's an awesome uh, time. That seems like a lifetime ago, though. In fact, because of COVID, anytime anybody says 2019, doesn't that sound like about 10 years ago? It's like it was forever ago, but I feel like I'm home. I'm glad you're here. It's exciting to be here. I want you to do me a favor, though, before we dive into God's Word. One, I want to thank um, Lydia and Jack, and I don't know the rest of the worship team's name, but we'll call Lydia, Jack, and the gang that led us in worship this morning. Can you give them a round of applause for leading us in worship? <laughs> Amen. And then there's some little girls that are right over here that were right behind me. And during the music today, they were singing so loud and strong. And it's just good to hear the next generation praising our great God and King. Would you give them a round of applause? All right. Now, I promise you we're going to dive into God's Word in a minute. But I want you to do me, because we're really spread out this morning. But I want you to make some new friends today. And so I want you to stand up for just a minute. I want you to look around, find somebody you have not met Introduce yourself to them and tell them you're glad they're here today. You do that right now. Well, amen. Listen, I hope, don't you just feel better just saying hello to a few people and greeting one another? Man, it's good to be together today. You can be seated. And before we dive into God's Word, um, I want to just share a word of prayer with us. And then let's just pray that God would work in our hearts through His Word for the praise of His great and holy name. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the joy of being able to get together as brothers and sisters in Christ to worship you and to glorify your holy and wondrous name. God, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts today um, through the work of your spirit, through the power of your word, that you would shape us for your purposes in this world and that we would live life on a mission every single day. And God, I pray for the people that are that you've gathered in this room and some that may be online. I pray that even now that if they don't know you, I pray your Holy Spirit would be at work in their heart, drawing them to yourself, and today they would come to know you. Now, the most important thing we'll hear all week is when we hear from you. So we just pray today that as we read your word, just bring it to bear on our lives. Give us a great desire to not only hear it, but to follow it. And Lord, may you be honored by all that we say and do. And we'll give you praise for what you do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Listen, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to talk about uh, something today that probably all of you have heard about before, but we 
struggle to fulfill the mission that God's given to us. And here's the topic for the day. It comes out of one of the aspects, one text uh, that we're going to read out of the multitude of texts we're going to read this morning. It simply says this, we are ambassadors for Christ. And I just want to just set the stage by telling you a story um, my wife and I experienced several years ago. Back in 2010, my wife was diagnosed with melanoma cancer. It was a bit advanced, and so by the time we got to the doctors and got the diagnosis, she was given less than a 50% chance to live. By God's grace and goodness, she is doing well. We praise God for his grace. But during that year, she had been through surgery, she's been through treatments, and in the fall of that year, I was going to be traveling to California to go to a, a meeting, and I told her, listen, if you, if, uh, if you feel well enough, why don't you just make the trip with me? Because one of her uh, bucket list items was she always wanted to go to Yosemite, and she wanted to see the great forest, the beautiful, large, massive trees. And so in the fall of that year, she was feeling good enough. We made the trip to California. We drove up to Yosemite Valley. If you've never been, it is an absolute beautiful place. And even though the pictures are majestic, they do not match the beauty of being in that place in person. It is absolutely stunning. And uh, we drove around the valley. We went and saw the, the large trees. We took pictures in front of them. We looked like tiny ants in front of these large trees. It was absolutely phenomenal. On the last day of our trip, before we went home, we decided we're going to make one more trip through the valley so that we could look at the majesty of God's creation and the beauty that surrounded the valley. We pulled down in the valley. It was very different this day. Before, there were just a few people just rummaging around through the, the valley and experiencing nature in all of its finest. But on this day, there were hundreds of people sitting in the valley in lounge chairs and on blankets. Now, they were eating sandwiches and fellowshipping, but they also had something very interesting. Most of them had spotting scopes, and they were directed toward the sky. As we drove down into the valley, I was a little, little bit confused about what was going on and what was happening, and so after a little bit of a drive, I decided to pull over to the side and walk and ask one of the families, what are you doing? What are you looking at? And I was walking backwards to approach a family, and I looked up, and I finally spotted it on the side of El Capitan, a rock face that towers 3,200 feet from the floor of the valley to the peak. There were two rock climbers scaling the side of the cliff. Absolutely amazing. Now, you may not find it very exciting to sit on a blanket in a valley with a spotting scope and watch two climbers climb the side of a mountain. It's rather slow. But you've got to admit that the the accomplishment is absolutely amazing. Now, I want you to do something with me. Let's just fast forward two weeks from that date in 2010. Everyone that was in the valley that day has gone home. Now, they've invited friends over to their individual homes to share about their vacation, their time in Yosemite Valley. All of them are turning pictures, showing pictures on their phones and, and uh, opening up photo albums, telling stories about their experiences. Now, it's interesting, everyone was in the valley that day, the same place, the same time. But only two people were on mission. The sad thing is when we think about that illustration, that's how we often think about the church. We're all in the same place, same time. If we were to show pictures, we all have stories to tell, lives to live, things to do. 
But people think, I think for the most part, that some of us, most of us, are here just on vacation. We're here to watch as the missionaries do their work and accomplish the mission that God's given them. I want to say to you today, nothing could be further from the truth. It might be okay for a trip to Yosemite Valley for the majority of people to be on vacation and only a couple of people to be on mission. But when it comes to living out this life that God has given you and me, none of us are on vacation. All of us are on mission. We're in the same place. At the same time, we have the same mission, and that is to make Jesus known to the world that's around us. And we cannot forget that. In fact, we're here for the distinct purpose to let the lost know how they can and that they can be reconciled to God. We don't need to miss that. It's a phenomenal mission. In fact, I've had people all through my life ask me, man, I just wish I knew exactly why God has me here. I can answer that question for you. If you know Jesus, he put you here to be a light in this world. He put you here to shine the light of the gospel in the darkness so that other people may know Christ. He put you here and gave you this life so that you could make him known to the world around you. And as I drove in today, there are hundreds of thousands of people that are all around you. And God's given you the ability and the strength and the power and the mission to tell his story. And just so that we can get the point, I wanna use this text in 2 Corinthians to help us see that purpose for our life. And, and, and I don't want you to miss this. I mean, you may have a job and a family you may have some passions and interests in this life. And those are, those are great. God's made us all different. Now, even as we met people this morning, we discovered that everyone around us is different than we are. And yet at the same time, we really have, the reason that we're here as believers is to make him known. In fact, any other thing that you can name in the Christian life, you can do better with him in glory. But you can never introduce someone to Jesus in heaven but you can do that every day here on this earth. And this is the text, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Verse 17 is by far the most famous verse in this passage, but it's all powerful. He says this, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us, and we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And listen to this verse. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now listen, there is no way, there's so many rich theological treasures in these few verses in 2 Corinthians, there is no way that I can spend time on each one of them. And so I wanna just focus on this one. And that is we are ambassadors for Christ. You and I, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, to understand that, we really need to understand two words, not just one. One word is the word reconciliation. It's when a sinner is made right with God. 
Over and over again in this passage, in fact, two times he mentions this word reconciliation. It's very important for us to understand this, when a sinner is made right with God. The second word is the word ambassador, and it simply means one or ones who are sent to represent another. And those two words help provide the framework for us to understand what this passage is really all about. And though there are a lot of things said in this text, let me just emphasize three things that are important for us today. One is this, reconciliation is God's work. We don't save anybody, do we? But God does, and that's good news. Um, this morning they shared with you that I came to Christ when I was 11 years old. Let me just tell you a little part of my story. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was an accountant. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. We lived in Tallahassee, Florida. From the earliest days of my life, I can remember always being in church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night visitation, Wednesday night. Um, Wednesday nights, we had prayer meeting, and we had RAs and GAs, and I was always there. It wasn't until I was 11 years old that, God, that, that, that my dad gave me permission to go to RA camp, Royal Ambassador Camp, which was at Panama City, which was exciting. I wanted to go desperately. Not for the spiritual reasons, I wanted to go because we camped out, we rode in canoes, we shot bows and arrows, we um, had a great fun together with a bunch of other boys. But God had other plans. On the last night of that retreat, um, that week, on Thursday night, I was in a little Quonset hut with about three or 400 other boys. A missionary shared his story. I was on the fourth row. There were, there were logs that were sawn in half. That was our seats for the night. And he did everything that I expected him to do. We had music, we had prayer, we read the scripture, he preached, and when he got to the end, it was exactly the way we did it at our church, up to a point. He said, every head bowed, every eye closed. You've heard that a thousand times in your life if you've been in church. But he did something rather unusual at the end. He said, this is what I want you to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to get up right now quietly and leave. Everybody on the first row got up and left, everybody on the second row, everybody on the third row, and everybody on my row left, I was all by myself. Now, I was only 11 years old, but I wanna tell you, for the first time in my life, I felt an overwhelming sense of being alone. When the service was over, I went up to the missionary and spoke to him. He passed me off to a little teenage boy, he had long blonde hair down to his shoulders, a T-shirt, cut off blue jeans, we went out on the beach, knelt down in the sand. He took my Bible, unzipped it. It was one of those Bibles that had the scene of the baptism of Jesus on the outside. He walked me through a few verses in the book of Romans. And that day, I came to know Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Now, here's what I knew. From that day forward, I would never be alone. When you come to know Christ, there are days in your life and you're all by yourself, but you are never, ever alone. Because God comes into your heart, seals your salvation, becomes your greatest companion you will ever have in this life. He is our great God and King. Now, God does that work. Does every single life in here that's a believer, every one of you have a testimony, a story that you could tell. That's God's work. Now, oftentimes, when we hear that, we say, well, I know that. But I don't want us to overlook the importance of it. And so I want you to look back in the text. We're going to put it up on the screen now just to underline a few passages to remind us of the importance that this is God's work. Look down in verse 18. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself. 
Look down in verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Look down in verse 20. God is making his appeal through us. And then in verse 21, he, God, made him Jesus, or made the one Jesus who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now get this. Four times, four times in the New Testament, this word reconciliation is used. Two times in this passage. In all four times, God is always the reconciler. He's the reconciler. Now, when you think about that, you say, well, why does that matter? What's the implication for us? Let me tell you what the implication is. I think so many times we miss it. We think, okay, because God's the one who saves. God is the reconciler. He's the one who works in someone's heart and brings them to saving faith. Then we're off the hook. If God wants to save them, he'll save them. That's not the point of the passage. You know what the point of the passage is? That you and I realize the importance of the message that he has given us to proclaim. God saves. He is the one who saves. And we are sent to tell the good news. We are his ambassadors. In fact, I love Romans chapter 10. It says this, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, he's not talking about preaching in a pulpit like this. He's talking about going out in your life and telling the story, sharing the good news. Listen, God is the one who saves. He is the great reconciler, and we can celebrate that. The second thing that we need to notice about this text is this. Reconciliation is the sinner's hope. It's the only hope. It's so interesting. We look at the problems that plague this world, isn't it? How many times we talk about the ways we can solve the dilemmas that face modern societies around the world? Education, government, better policies. That's not the answer, is it? You and I know the answer. The problem is we're all sinners and we're in a sin-sick world. And the only hope that we have in this world is Jesus. He redeems lives, makes them his own, and he would, he's the answer for our greatest problems. In fact, what we need to know is this. It's not just the sinner's hope, it's the sinner's only hope. In fact, look back in the text again. Let me just underline some different sections of this passage to make the point for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Then look down in verse 19. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And look down at the end of verse 20. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And listen, our only hope is the salvation that's found in Jesus. It's what our world needs. It's the sinner's only hope. Think about it this way. Here's the problem. People, all people are sinners. Anybody disagree with that? Listen, I've traveled a lot of places around the world and I'd be honest with you, wherever I have gone, I've found that people agree with this fact. We are sinners right? 
I remember one night I was, I was in Atlanta and um, preached on Sunday morning, did membership class Sunday night, left, went to the Atlanta airport, flew to New York. It was my first time um, by myself in New York City. Got there after midnight, flagged down a taxi. I got in the taxi, looked up. The, the taxi driver's name was all consonants, a bunch of them. I handed them the card to the hotel I was going to to have a meeting with uh, some a missions meeting. And uh, as we drove off into the darkness, I got a little bit afraid. I was thinking, this may not be a good idea. I'm just a country boy from Georgia in New York City. It's after midnight. Don't know where I'm going. This guy's name is all consonants. I don't even know if he speaks English. And in the middle of my fretting, my worrying, God said, I know right where you are, and, and I put you here to be on mission for me. So I looked up with that prompting of the Holy Spirit, and I said, hey, sir, do you speak English? He looked at me in the rearview mirror and, uh, and nodded his head yes. I said, do you mind if I ask you um, a personal question? And he nodded no. And I said, okay. I said, do you know that all people are sinners? I mean, probably not the best way to start a conversation, but that was the way that I did it. And he looked back at me in that rearview mirror with the strangest look on his face, and this is what he said. He said, sir, I'm a taxi driver in New York City. I know all people are sinners. You with me? Listen, you can be in the country, in the city. You can be in the north or the south. You can be on, in North America or halfway around the world. Wherever you go, we know one thing is true. All people are sinners. That is our greatest problem. Our problem is that we're sinners and separated from God. The bigger problem is this. The sinner cannot reconcile himself to God. You see, here's the point. The sinner does not have the power, the ability, or the capacity to not be a sinner. What separates us from God? That we're sinners. He's not. He's holy God. We can't make ourselves to not be sinners. We don't have that ability. We don't have the capacity. We don't have that power. And so what we need is this. The sinner needs to be reconciled to God by God. How is he going to do that? How can a holy and just God reconcile sinners to himself? Well, the solution is forgiveness. So there is nothing like forgiveness, is there? When you've wronged someone and with a broken heart, you go to them, the person that you've loved, and you say, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? And they look back at you square in the eyes and say to you, I forgive you. That's powerful. Now you think about this. When the God of heaven, who is holy, perfect, forgives us, his forgiveness is complete. The Bible says, that he takes our sin and throws it as far as the east is from the west and remembers it no more. Isn't that good? He takes our sin and buries it in the depths of the sea, forever gone. What can wash away my sin? What does it say? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. His forgiveness is Sweet. In fact, in this passage, 
He talks about forgiveness, not counting their trespasses against them. Man, what a great statement that is. Now, how do we have forgiveness? Hmm. That's where the provision for our forgiveness comes in. The provision is not a place or a process, it's a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21 is the most important verse in this passage. Listen to it again. In the ESV, it says this, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. In my office for 31 years over the door, I had a sign that my wife bought me. We were engaged. We went to a place you might remember if you've been here a while, it was called the Joyful Noise. You ever hear of it? Gospel music and fried chicken, all you could eat. It was wonderful. She bought me a plaque and I hung it above the door in my office and it said this, someone asked Jesus how much he loved the world. He stretched out his hands and said this much and he died. How can God forgive us? How can God forgive us? Because he provided for us his own son, Jesus, to die our death, to pay our debt so that we might have his life. And how do we respond to that? Faith. Faith. God saves, and our response is belief. I mean, I love the passage. We've all heard it. And I think sometimes it's so familiar to us, we don't even listen to the power of the passage. Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus that was considered by his own day to be very religious and very righteous. Jesus tells him in the midst of this conversation, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a gift. This is what I want you to know. That reconciliation is the sinner's only hope. That's the, that's the implication. The only hope for anyone that you and I know of surviving this life, dying, we're all going to die. We understand that, don't we? Some die young, some die old, some die suddenly, some it takes a while. The truth is we're all going to die. Everyone in my family has died. Yours too, I suspect. But on the other side of death, there is life. There is life. And that life is found in Jesus. I mean, that is our hope, isn't it? Why You say, why is all that so important? Here's why it's so important for you and I as Christians to know that. It's this, because reconciliation is our ministry. Reconciliation is the reason you're here. Why did God put you here? God put you here to go to school, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, all the way through, and go to college to get a job, to get married, to have kids. to retire. If God put you here as a believer, once you come to know him, the reason God leaves you here is to share the gospel, to proclaim the hope that's found in his name. We're to do that. 
It's our ministry. Let me just show you in the text. Again, look at the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's just read the whole thing and look at the underlines. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Who did he give it to? He gave it to us. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. To who? To us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. And we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. That's our message. Be reconciled to God. And what a great thought that is. So there, listen, in that text, there are three undeniable realities that you and I need to understand as believers. One is this. God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. It's like everything else that God gives us. He gives it to us, and he still is the owner. But he's given us this message. You and I, me and you, you say, well, he may be given to you because you've been a pastor and now you're on staff at a mission organization. No, 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 no. Every believer. This is not Yosemite Valley. Not 99% of us on vacation, 2% of, of us on mission. No, no, no. It's all of us. That's why we're here. In fact, this is my firm belief. The reason so many believers struggle to find their place in this world as we're looking for our place in all the wrong places. We think in our job or in our, even our church connection or with our family or friends and all those things are important. But listen, the reason you're here is to live life on mission. To share the good news. Second undeniable truth, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In other words, He's given us that divine assignment. Assignment. You, you're the ones to share the gospel story. And then the third thing is this. God is making his appeal through us. Now think about that for a second. God has chosen to give you and me the message of reconciliation. He's committed it to us. This is yours. Take it. And he's decided that he's gonna make his appeal to the world through you and me. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? It's amazing when you think about it. So listen, there's some, there some implications here that I want us to get. We, all of us, all Christians, are ambassadors for Christ. Look at verse 17. Listen to what it says. Verse 17, he tells us that we are in Christ. We are new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. You cannot separate what happens in verse 17 from verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. If you've been made new in Christ, you're an ambassador for Christ. Pretty powerful. In fact, do you remember what Jesus told the disciples 
When he called them and asked them to leave their fishing nets, what did he say? Follow me and I'll make you to become what? Fishers of men. That's a powerful assignment. It's the same assignment you and I have. The second thing, it's an implication of this, this statement that we're the ones to carry the message of reconciliation is we're all qualified to be ambassadors for Christ. You say, how is that? I've never been to school, never been to seminary, uh, haven't studied a lot, done gold, consider myself a great theologian. The truth is, if you have come to know Christ, you're qualified. If God has saved you, made you his own, you have a story to tell. It's his story in your life and a message of hope to proclaim. And then the third thing is this, third implication. We are all equipped with the power to be ambassadors. Now, here's where it really gets tough. Because so many of us have decided that he didn't mean me. Didn't mean me because I don't have an outgoing personality. Or I don't feel like I have the gift of evangelism. Listen, there are some people that God has gifted in remarkable ways that can carry the gospel to people around the world. And it bears fruit. But your personality, nor your training, nor your context inhibits you from being what God has made you to be. You have the power to be an ambassador. You say, how is that true? Through the presence of and the power of God's Holy Spirit. You see, when you, when you come to know Christ, this is what happens. I can't explain it, but I can tell you what happens. When you come to know Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. He seals your salvation and holds on to you in the grip of His grace your heart, your life is not a hotel. He doesn't check in and check out. He lives there forever. And he's the one who gives you the power to be what God desires. Do you remember this? Acts chapter one, verse eight, the resurrected Christ talking to his disciples. He tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You remember that? Just a few chapters later, Acts chapter four, the, uh, there'd been some persecution and some threats. The disciples had gotten together and prayed, those followers of Jesus, asking for boldness. And this is what it says in verse 31 of chapter four. And when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Where did the boldness come from? God's presence. God's presence in their life. Listen, I, I, want, I just want to put you at ease. You and I don't save anyone. We can't. But God can. He's chosen to make known that message of salvation to the world. He's chosen to make it known through you and me. Our lives don't need to be closed. Our mouths don't need to be shut. We need to be an open book and we need to be testifying to the truth, not because we're outgoing, but because God has made us new. And here's what I know. Through the strength of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, 
God will give you everything you need to be everything he wants. Did you hear that? He will give you everything you need to be everything he wants. Don't miss that. Don't climb out of the boat and don't stop fishing. Make him known. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think that God gives you the friends he gives you? Why do you think God gives you the family that he gives you? So that they can know you or so that they can know him? A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And he gives light to everyone in the house. And Jesus said, listen, let your light shine. Live this life in the fullness and strength of God's power so that everyone may see and everyone give glory to God. And what a word for us. Now, my wife, several years ago, developed a, a new, a rather new hobby. A lot of people have it now. It's going to antique stores. When I was a kid, we called them junkyards. But now we moved them inside and we call them vintage stores, antique stores. And every once in a while, uh, my wife will say on a Saturday morning, hey, wouldn't it be great? Today's just such a beautiful day. Wouldn't it be a great day to go antique store shopping? It's not my thing, okay? It's just not my thing. But I love my wife, and I love being with my wife, and so I go. Now, I've learned in these trips a couple of things about these antique stores. One, they're very deceptive. You usually pull up and it's a small storefront and you think, hey, this will take maybe 12 minutes. When you walk inside, it's like the wardrobe. There's a whole world back there and there's like a maze of buildings connected that are all filled with other people's junk. It's gonna be an all day journey. Second thing I've learned is most of them are not designed for men. Most of the stuff in there Ladies love, guys tolerate. So when we go on these, these trips, I always go to the counter and ask them, hey, do y'all have a men's section? This one Saturday morning we got up, my wife said, hey, wouldn't it be good? Let's go antique shopping. I said, sure, let's do it. We drove to a nearby town. We pulled up. This place wasn't deceptive at all. I knew it was gonna be an all-day event. It was huge on the outside. We started walking in and I said, hey, you uh, enjoy, it's gonna be great. I'm sure it's gonna be a fabulous place. I'll go to the counter, I'm asking for the men's section. Just text me if you're ready to go. I go to the counter, do y'all have a men's section? That's what I thought. She said, if you'll follow this yellow line through this building to the next building, then on to the next building, in the far right-hand corner, we have some tools. Thank you very much. So my wife is shopping and I start making my way down the yellow brick road um, to the men's section. I was looking over to my left because it was a, it was a counter uh, just off the main counter, a glass counter where it was, it was all locked up with the sliding glass with the locks on it. And usually they have um, real pretty dishes and glasses and 
you know, silverware that people ate off of and 200 years ago, and stuff you just wouldn't want. But as I walked by the counter this time, I looked over and I noticed that there was a fishing lure inside this locked cabinet. Fishing lure. What caught my attention was, it looked like a fishing lure that had been handmade. It reminded me of my grandfather, my, my mom's father, who lived in Abbeville, Georgia on Poor Robin Road on the way to the Old Muggy River. My grandfather was a sharecropper and he was a fisherman. He built his own boat, he carved his own lures. He'd go to the river and fish and catch fish. He built out of concrete blocks, a little pool in his front yard, not for swimming, it's where he threw his fish. When you and I would go fish, not catch anything, we'd buy his fish on the way home. That's how he made a living. And so I stopped to look at this lure. It reminded me of my grandfather. I'm staring through the glass and the lady walked around the corner. She said, hey, would you like for me to unlock that? I said, I sure would. She unlocked the glass and I was looking and there was a lot of fishing stuff behind. It was just unusual to me that it'd be behind a locked glass. But old bamboo poles from the early 1900s and reels that were antique, old, just beautiful, majestic. I sat on the floor, I spent an hour there just going through all the fishing stuff. It actually was one of the funnest days I've ever had in an antique store. While I'm sitting there, after an hour, the lady comes back from around the counter. She says, hey, would you like to meet the lady that owns all this? I said, you gotta be kidding, absolutely. One, I was stunned that it was a lady that owned all this fishing stuff. The second, I would love to meet her. She said, she's in the parking lot. So I jumped up, ran outside. And there was a lady in her 80s unloading some stuff from a pickup truck. I walked up, started talking to her to get to know her a little bit and said, man, this is an incredible collection that you have here. It's absolutely amazing. And I uh, started talking about some of the pieces that she had there, some of the lures and some of the rods and reels that were in this collection of hers. And said, how long have you owned all this? If she actually, she said, it was my husband's. I said, oh, it was your husband's? She said, yeah, he died a year ago, and so now it's mine. And I said, well, I've never seen a collection of stuff like this in fishing. She said, well, you ought to come to my house and look in my garage. I've got fishing stuff from everywhere around the world, all cataloged. The entire garage is filled with it. Amazing, isn't it? So as we talked a little bit, I said, well, I just got to ask. My grandfather loved fishing, my dad loved fishing, I loved to fish. When did your husband fall in love with fishing? She said, oh, he didn't, he didn't love to fish. He hated fishing. He just loved the stuff. As the conversation ended, I was walking back inside and I just thought, that guy has to be the weirdest person on the planet. He hates fishing, but he's collecting all the stuff. It's like the Holy Spirit it said to my heart, it's not weird at all. It sounds a lot like my church. We don't like to fish. We just like all God's stuff.
Listen, that's not to make you feel guilty. You need to understand how powerful God's love is for us, his church, and how great an opportunity we have every day to do what we're made to do, what we're equipped to do. So let our light shine. Do you remember when you were in the vacation Bible school and they taught you a song? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Remember? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. What happened? Listen, listen. We as Christians, we are the ambassadors of the good news. The ambassadors, his church. Because this, God uses his people to reach people with the good news. Here's what I want you to get. He's not sending anyone else. There's nobody else coming. It's us, his church. There's not a band of angels. There's not another missionary force. It's the church of our Lord Jesus Christ that he's entrusted the message to carry the good news to the world. And we need to share it. And when we share it, God will save. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was out on a Saturday mowing the grass. Had my phone inside, came back inside, had a message from a friend in Canada, Caesar Para. Caesar and I had talked about three months ago, and he told me, he said, listen, I want you to pray for my daughter. She's dating a guy who's not a believer. I told her it's okay for her to date him a couple of times as long as she would not be embarrassed and call me off when I sit down to talk to him about knowing Jesus. And if he's not interested, then no more dating. And she said, okay, Dad, I'm good with that. And so Caesar and I started praying for a young man named Nico. That Saturday, I had a voicemail from Caesar. Caesar, when I picked line, listened to the voicemail, he said, hey, Pastor Tim, so sorry to bother you on Saturday. I know you're probably enjoying some time with your family and friends. And I'm thinking to myself, no, I was just mowing grass. It's so good to come inside and get a message. He said, I just wanted to, to tell you, I, I know you've been praying every day for Nico. I had a conversation with Nico today, and I want to tell you, and he said, well, wait a minute. Nico, why don't you tell him? And Nico got on the phone and said, hey, Pastor Tim, today I gave my life to Jesus. He said, about two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus. I started reading the Gospel of John, never read it in my life. Today, when Caesar talked to me again about Jesus, I believed in him. And he is my savior. When we share, people hear, God works. And this is what you and I know. He 
still saves. Amen? So when this week, when you start your day in the morning and you ask yourself the question, hey, Lord, why in the world have you left me here today? I pray this song goes off in your head like an alarm, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. And when you think, oh man, I don't have the strength to do that. My workplace is too ungodly. My friends don't wanna hear. The people I talk to just mock me because of my Christianity. Or I'm too shy. I don't have the words to say. What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? This is what I want you to remember. God will give you everything you need to be everything he wants. So let's live for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray today that through your word, the power of your spirit, you would, you would be at work in our hearts and our lives. And that you would give us the strength, the energy, the passion to live out this gospel that you've called us to. And that you'd give us the strength to proclaim the good news to everyone that we meet. And we just pray that people would come to know you, that you'd be at work in this lost world. Open up doors for conversations this week. Give us opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And just like you use someone to share the gospel with us, use us to share the gospel with someone else. And God, I pray for the people in this room. Well, there may be somebody here today and they just, what they think is by chance came to church here this morning. It wasn't by chance. God was just orchestrating a divine appointment. And if you're here today and inside your own heart, you say, I, I don't know this God, this Jesus that you're talking about, but I want to. I have a longing in my soul that I have not been able to satisfy with anything in this world. And I need to know the God of heaven. Well, know this, God has done everything that needs to be done so that you might know him. And today, right where you are, you place your faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for eternal life as a free gift and heaven as a home. He will save you and make you his own. And so if you're there and you say, I don't even know what to say to God, but I believe. And just, there's nothing magical about the words. Just pray a simple prayer like this. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that you love me and have a plan for my life. But I know I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. In fact, I know that's why you came to this earth and you died on the cross. You didn't die for your own sins, you died for mine. And today I accept what you did for me on the cross and I place my faith and trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins that you would give me new life in Jesus. Heaven is a home and the Holy Spirit to live in my heart, to be with me every day of this life. Thank you for loving me the way you do, and thank you for saving me. 
Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, listen, if God's been at work in your heart and you say, listen, today I placed my faith and trust in Christ for my salvation. Today I did that. Would you just raise your hand? I just wanna pray for you a minute. You just trusted in Christ for your salvation. Father, I thank you that you do still forgive, you do still save. And I pray that today that you'll give us opportunities to share that message to those around us. I thank you for the believers that are here in this room. I pray that you give them strength to live out in the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit this life as an ambassador for Christ. And that you would use them, even this week, to share the hope of the gospel with someone that they know. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for making us your own. And thank you for giving us the opportunity every day to let the light of the gospel shine through us. Now, may you be honored as we live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand together. Pastors will be here at the front. We invite you to come during this next song. But I wanna, I wanna ask you to do something. Has God put somebody on your heart? Maybe somebody in your family that doesn't know Christ. I mean, it could be someone as close to you as your mom or dad or husband or wife or one of your children that don't know Jesus. We sing this invitation time. Maybe you just pray for them right now. And if they won't listen to you, maybe you've tried. Maybe just say, God, just send someone that they will listen to, someone they'll respect. Share with them the hope of the gospel. And do that even today. And I pray they'll believe. Or maybe you need a pastor to pray with you, or you need to come to the altar. You need someone to talk to. We'd love to talk to you about that. So as we sing, as God speaks, you come. We'll meet you right here at the front.